Hey book fans, welcome to Mumbo's Book Kiss, a podcast where we dive into the books from our childhood and see if they still hold up today. Our guest on this episode is Rachel Teagle. Rachel is a playwright and mom living in the Twin Cities. She knits and gardens and bakes and watches tons of excellent and terrible TV. She has recently jumped back into audiobooks with the help of the Libby Library app. She likes naming her video game characters stupid rude things like butt cheeks so that everyone in the game has to say things like hail butt cheeks and it makes her giggle every single time. Enjoy! Wonderful. So before we get into the book you brought today, I'd like to talk about the book you're currently reading. Um, could be a kid's book, could be a magazine. What uh, What's on your currently reading pile? I'm actually really proud because I have some, I'm currently reading two books because I have a little book that I've been carrying in my purse for when I like have to wait at the doctor's office or are bored in some places. And then I have like a next to the bed book. So my purse book right now is Mindy Kaling's Why Not Me? And it's her second set of kind of personal essays. And it's very witty and self-deprecating and really light and breezy and feels like having a sassy friend in your book, in your bag. Um, and I'm also reading, I brought it with me to show it off. I have a little pile of books. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And she's a poet and a botanist. And she's it's you, also on my to read file right now. Oh my God. It's lovely. Um, it's like a fusion of Western scientific knowledge and like Native American knowledge and like how those two things come together in her life and experience of living in the world. And it's just it feel it, every chapter is a beautiful poem because she's a freaking poet and a freaking yeah. botanist and it's it makes me really excited to go out and dig around in my yard which oh, I was nice. like oh this totally feeds into today's read it's like clearly some part of me is still that little you know sallow child <laughs> digging mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. in the secret garden oh she gave it away for talking about oh no I'm sorry <laughs> Whatever our book may be, our secret book about some garden. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're totally fine. Uh, I no, I love that. I got this, so I'm a a book hoarder. Um, so I love collecting books. I don't always read them. Um, but my a friend of mine who is a scientist, we did a book exchange, and she gave me this book, and I was worried because I am not a scientist. Um, and I. I mean, science is interesting, but it's something that I like. Oh, you know what I want a book about? Science. Um, <laughs> but when I started it, and it was just very like soothing, mm-hmm. and everything made sense. It felt very lyrical and like yes. calm. And I've, I've really, I have to get back to it because I'm reading. One, two, three. Uh oh. <laughs> Four books right now. Oh my gosh. Five, five books. Um, and I kind of rotate them when I, depending on my whim, my mood. Oh, I hear you. Um, yeah. But I'm excited. I've heard really good things about it from other friends who read it, and I'm excited yeah. that you're enjoying it, and I'm excited to get back to it eventually. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I would make, put it somewhere on your list. It is at the top of my pile, if that. So I should be getting into it relatively soon. Okay. Good. So there's hope for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you kind of gave, gave it away, but uh, my bad. <laughs> no, uh, hard. It's okay. It tied into the theme or the what we're talking about today. Uh, so what is the formally introduced the book that you're we're talking about today? 
Well, surprise, surprise. You had no idea. But we're going to talk today about The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And uh, what are your memories of of this book? So this was a book that I definitely read as a child. And I had... um, I read it and reread it and then also got for Christmas one year a secret garden planting journal where you could like write what you were planting in your garden, had little illustrations and like little quotes about what was happening at different times of year. Hmm. So I was like all in. And then later in life, I was asked to adapt the secret garden for um, Sage. And uh, then when I went back home to get that book, when I picked it up, it fell apart in my hands. Oh, wow. Because I had like thumbed through it so much. So I thought, oh, or damn, I need a new that old. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, look column A, look column B. Did I take the best care of my paperbacks? I mean, no, no, it was all because of love. Um, but as something, as a book that I like loved as a kid and then came back to as an adult, I'm really interested in kind of digging apart why was I so drawn to this? Why is it still such an enduring story? And like, what do we do with it in, you know, 2022? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I feel like this was like another book that always just kind of existed. Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, it came out in like 1911, so it's an yep. old book, so it's been out for a while. But, <laughs> um, I, this was like, I feel like in the early 90s there was, they were trying to make these books like happen again, uh, like kind <laughs> of can fetch again. Yeah. Because we mm-hmm, had, mm-hmm. I remember this was a movie. Yep. Black Beauty was a movie that came out around that same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, There was definitely like a a vogue of like early 90s, kind of like Baby Merchant Ivory style, like high literary adaptations. Yeah, uh, because I want to say there was also, yeah, The Little Princess, which she wrote, also came back and they made a movie for that. Um, And I, I don't remember, I had a copy of this book. And I also had, I don't know if you had these two, but they had, like, they were almost, like, picture book versions of these novels, mm-hmm. but, like, hardcover, like, maybe, like, a foot in length and eight inches across and, like, an inch thick, and they were illustrated, like, large print. Oh, wow. Like, um, so Wait, had, yes. This is ringing a bell. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I had that. Yes. I yes. had that for Black Beauty, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like Black Beauty because I wasn't. Right, I wasn't a horse person either. Horses are terrifying. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> Sorry, horses. Please don't no, come after me. Horses, they're like big dogs, but they're big dogs. Um, they're, they're not dogs. They're aliens, man. They would horses. squish you in a heartbeat. Just because they don't know their own strength. That's no, what... they do. They do, and they will get you. <laughs> All right, this is otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to say that books, a book like this were the reason why I loved books like Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre mm. when I was older because I love yes. like those classic things and I think it was like Secret Garden that kind of got me into that genre of yeah. uh, literature. Yeah, it's very much kind of Jane Eyre Junior of like mm-hmm. I've come to this big abandoned house where there's nobody but me and I can make my own way and then yeah you know, find life and color mm-hmm. and all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot in common um, of the literature of that time. And there's such a romanticism to a big empty house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's On a not more, you know. The more, oh my God, the more and the accents. Mm-hmm. I was like, the, I got to ask you, because re- looking at this book again, um, what are your feelings on the character of Dickon? Uh, I don't 
you tell me your thoughts. I don't think um, I because I was in love. Let me tell you. When like you were a, a child? Yeah, or, and a yeah. little bit as an adult. Like, I kind of get it. Because he's like a kindly, sweet boy who's good to his family and can, like, magically talk to animals, but is also 100% there for you all of the time. He's, yeah, he's uh, this kind of, like, uh, he's kind of like this, um, Mar- like, Mary was not really the hero, but Dickon was kind of the hero of, yeah. like, the, of the more of the story. It's um, interesting, because looking at Mary as a protagonist, like, she's a very difficult protagonist like she doesn't she's like an anti-hero she's, she's an anti-hero yeah. and she mm-hmm. kind of becomes but just as she's coming into her own as like a caring empathetic person the story discovers colin the sickly cousin mm-hmm. and is like oh nope the narrative is his now and i remember being really frustrated by yeah. that um i've actually marcia norman who did the uh, musical adaptation talks about the the difficulty of the split protagonist and her solution is to cast mandy patinkin as a dad and give it to him but like Mary kind of disappears from her own story in a way that's really, for me as a reader and for me as an adapter, was really frustrating. And I think um, also if you're looking at books where you're like, oh, this is a book about a young girl and I kind of see myself in her also then, then you're mm-hmm. erased from it. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, hang on, here's the air. Let's follow the air of this manner. That's what's more important. I, yeah, I wonder, did you, I know you did some research. Yeah, I did. Uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> did you um, come across anything about yeah. why she did that? So um, it's interesting. She actually, she spent kind of her early childhood in, in Manchester in England and then had a, a sudden loss of a parent and then the, the father that had to, so they lost all their income and had to move in with family members she and kind like of moved three, around a lot. Right. She was really what young was when he, she was three. Yeah, she was like three when she he died. Really and then mm-hmm. everything kind of fell apart 10 years later or when she, so she moved in with relatives who had a big fancy, big, lovely garden. So she was kind of in a castle of cousins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then after the civil war, when the cotton trade um, ruined Manchester, because it got mm-hmm. a little more complicated because you had to, you know, pay your laborers or something, and suddenly it's not Wild. so profitable. Wow. So um, then they moved to Tennessee. So she yeah. grew up, so she spent a lot of her kind of early life in America and spent a majority of her life in America. Um, started writing there, did all that stuff, eventually moved back, used her writing money to like go to England and buy a big fancy garden. But um, so looking at kind of, so she's, I thought of her as being a very English writer. Like you think of these stories as being kind of quintessentially English, but she was living in America when she, for much of her kind of formative years, like she was met up with Louisa May Alcott, which is why she's, who wrote Little Women, Mm -hmm. Um, like they were at a salon in DC together, and then she started writing children's fiction. Um, But looking at kind of her story, she had her oldest son die of consumption very suddenly. Yeah. And then I think that's, and then her next son um, was very sick while he was in school and she like immediately rushed back to be with him. So I think that the notion of, you know, a sickly kid is something that's very close to her heart and mm-hmm. kind of hard to get away from. And the notion of, I think, nature being able to heal your sickly kid. Yeah, she was, uh, I looked it up. She was, I forget the religion she was a part of, but the mm-hmm. religion she was a part of kind of thinks that nature is healing for children. Mm-hmm um and, and that even like, like the cycles of the story of, of the garden in mary are kind of 
uh, represent that as well. Hugely of like there being some kind of magic in nature mm -hmm. that if yeah. you put, if you're out in the outdoors, if you take in that, it's actually a healing thing. They talk about her taking her, her consumptive son to like health spas and trying to get that nature. And that was a really common cure at the time, but also going out to the seaside meant getting out of the pollution of the city. Yeah. So yeah. like I, being out in nature is genuinely good for you. Um, I and I, so I can definitely see some of this Colin thing as being kind of a witch fulfillment in a way. And it's always dangerous to be too one-on-one -on -one with authors. I know that I, as an author, uh, hate when people are like, well, this is just like that in your story. This is just like I am. This is how you put me in there. But as a, as a reader, I'm like, this is a hundred percent her son, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And like those, she must've taken some of those details. And so she did eventually move into this big fancy manor house, got the idea for that. But when she wrote Secret Garden, um, she published it in the American magazine. So it was in published like segments, for, right? Yeah, in segments yeah. like mm -hmm. uh, Charles Dickens style as the mm -hmm. um, epis, no, episode, episodal. Episodic? Sure. <laughs> Thanks, college. Um, <laughs> someone went to Williams. Okay. But yeah, no, so it was, and it's very much, you can tell, and I was reading it to my kid, and like every, it very much feels like episodes of a television show. Yeah, those chapters kind of, are very, they're short. Yeah. So it was like, I was like, doing my chapter, I'm like, this is a really short chapter. Mm -hmm. um, but they are like little stories, they kind of wrap up in the thing. Yeah, yeah. it follows that format pretty nicely. But it's, and I just, I wonder if the Englishness of it, if part of why it's so essentially like the moors and the this and the that and the ponies and the thistles is because she was spent so much of her life away from that and was just starting yeah. to get back, if that mm -hmm. kind of longing. Um, which brings me to her treatment of India. Yeah. Yeah. So she opens up talking about how India is so hot that nothing can grow. It's so hot and sickly and just a poor constellation. It's like, you know, of course, India, famous for its lack of vegetation. Like, I mean, honestly, if you look at like the depiction of, because I had an image in my head, mm -hmm. which I feel like is one that like Hollywood represented of India when they started making films, like, you know, early films. It kind yeah. of like, I had this image in my head. Or maybe it also might have been the mummy. I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> the place in the desert. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But she painted a real picture that was like eh, more than shady, you know, that makes India look like gross and disgusting and hot and England this lush. Lush like, and green uh, and cool uh -huh, and, and fertile real and, seasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I could find no evidence that she'd been to India, but she'd been to was Tennessee. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe Tennessee sucks. <laughs> maybe it was Tennessee, but why? I guess. Yeah. Why India? Just because that was the time period we were doing that, and that's when cholera was a thing that would have affected them. Oh, or... cholera was a thing. I mean, in America, there were cholera epidemics. Of it's course, all tainted yeah. water. So, yeah, I mean, I think that trying to find, because a lot of juvenile fiction, especially, has to do with how do you make the child independent and then go to a new circumstance? Like, what's the mm. farthest thing from Northern England? I guess is hot India. Was it also Little Princess? Did her dad also, was he also in India for that? He, I think, yes. Yeah. I think because he definitely She was like riding elephants. Something. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So maybe it could also be 
but she also was very much a workhorse writer. So like she described herself as a pen driving machine because she was supporting her family through publishing writing. So she yeah. just was like, okay, what's selling? What's selling? All right. Exotic stories of India, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's just okay. such a, so I, I wonder if like, she's kind of coming back to that well a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's also a place where you can be very alone if the people there aren't supporting you. Yeah. And like the thing that sticks to me about Mary's time in India is that her parents were awful. Oh, they were terrible. Like, did not want a kid. People outside the house didn't even know they had a kid. The, the and she's, scene where everyone has died and no one knows no that she's there. Either. And she's just like, why, why is my breakfast? What's up? She's like, and I got so, drunk on this wine. I passed out. And, mm-hmm, then, and woke up and everyone's dead. Yeah. Like, what a freaking horror show. Like, her trying to unpack that trauma and being in an upper-class English family, like, I don't know that they do much unpacking probably of didn't trauma. Unpack it. No. Nope. And, like, her going from this traumatized child into a house full of extra trauma mm-hmm. of, like, mm-hmm. you know, this garden is this woman died, so I'm going to shut away this garden and all that I hold dear. I'm going to hide my other son in a room. There's no some... talk about it. No one can sell you no, anything. It's gonna no keep... one can tell you anything. They're going to carry on. Because yep. Stiff upper lip. Yep. Oh, yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. But what kind of unlocks that sort of stiff upper lip trauma is her interaction with nature and with mm-hmm. like the people who are out in the village and out not sitting in these sad halls, not talking about the hidden sick boy. Mm-hmm. Which is so odd. Uh, so yeah. odd. <laughs> but her, yeah, I remember the the scene when she first like, I guess befriends the robin in the garden. <sighs> And just kind of something like unlocked. She's like, I'm not. I think also it's because the the uh, gardener was like, Yeah, you're really sour looking, and you're you're horrible right. to be around. And she's like, Am I horrible to be around? Am I right. really that ugly looking? Like I was yeah. like, Oh no. Like, well, but, I I suck, huh? Who but knew? I think I mean, not but also I nobody advocate. had talked to her. That's I think yeah. That yeah. there's something about that honesty that actually unlocked something she's like oh i'm not great mm-hmm. and i want to be better uh-huh mm-hmm. i want you to like me i want this if nothing if i'm completely unlikable if no one can ever love me if there is something so awful about me that even when people are dying around me no one thinks to come get me <laughs> like yeah and then yeah. it's like oh maybe this bird this friendly bird sees something in me then maybe I can live up to. And I think the fact that Dickon is so admired by everyone, like that everyone yeah. kind of talks about him in this way, that he's like a, a superhero. Also, right. I think it's like, she's like, I want to be like that. I would like to be admired by people who don't, oh, people like, you know, talk about me to people they don't even, don't even know me with that kind of like love in their voice. So. Absolutely. And if someone that everyone loves could like me, then maybe I am worth something after all. And I think that whole, her journey toward discovering empathy is such a powerful notion of mm-hmm. like her, her journey from like Mistress Mary, quite contrary to, you know, master of the secret garden, healer of the entire manor, mm-hmm. like 
is really something that is very much about her, her driving that journey mm-hmm. of making these choices, of making these discoveries, of putting in the hard work to, you know, untangle the vines, to see what's sick, see what's healthy, and in it kind of healing herself in a way. And then she sees Colin as this mirror, you know, of like, oh, dang, is that what I'm like? I'm like yeah. that? That's awful. Colin <laughs> also, I don't, I, well, mm. yeah. Mm. She's like, I don't want to be that. That nope. seems terrible. But also Pass. he's, and if I'm wrong, correct me, like he's also yeah. someone who like was kind of like lied to and not talked to. Very and much. Then turns out it was okay-ish in the end. Right? Like... That's a huge, like, that's a great question of like, could Colin walk the whole time and he was pretending? Or is this a like, people who are disabled if you work hard enough you can overcome your Yikes. like where is this actual what is the story like trying munchausen by proxy where they just told me he oh, couldn't God. walk and then and he didn't yeah in mm. um there's actually a graphic novel adaptation um called the secret garden on 81st street by ivy noel weir and amber padilla that um kind of sets it in modern new york Ooh. um and it's all it's about like a, and it's a garden on the top level of a building that was closed after the, the husband of the uncle died. Um, and they're very clear with the Colin in that book of like, he has social anxiety. Mm, okay. And that's like what that. it is. That's a different, and that it's, yeah. Right. And so, and, and he's very much like, I, I want, she's really grateful that um, when the Mary in that book shows up and he's like, I can't go outside. I can't go outside. And then she's like, okay, yeah, I believe you We'll work on this. And he's like, oh, you you realize that I, it's not that I'm not trying, mm. it's that I can't. Yeah. And that really was a lovely way to look at it that I do not think is in the original text no. at all. No. But I, it kind of opens that notion of like, what is going on with him? And how, how do you heal when you don't know what's going on in your own body and no one's helping you? Mm-hmm. And maybe even like no one's listening either. Right. And if no one listens, then if no one listens, no one speaks to you, then there's, it's very easy, I think, to get louder and angrier. And when you get, the only attention you get is from negative activity. I mean, you've worked with children. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you're going to, you're going to get that attention however you can. What I've learned is how I'm going to get things across is by acting a certain way. Yep. For both of them, actually. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lovely quote on the back of my um, fancy Barnes and Noble edition, where you tend to rose, my lad, a thistle cannot grow. And I think the notion of choosing to tend beautiful things in yourself kind of ties into that. Mm. So like by showing kindness to Colin, by allowing him to achieve things, to be out to have positive attention then there's not as much space and not as much need to put all the prickly lousy stuff in i, I think yeah well that and maybe to simplify just like kind of the power of positive thinking too right she's right. Not focusing on the negative things she's focused on like making things beautiful on building mm-hmm. this friendship with the people that she lives with and kind of like doesn't have time to think about just what you just said. I just repeated yeah. it, and I'm sorry. Um, 
<laughs> no, it's called conversation. It's now that I'm hearing it out loud, I'm like, mm, this is me processing my thoughts out loud. Um, I think it's called a podcast. Okay. I don't have a fancy quote. I just have these illustrations. Oh, wait. Show me your illustrations. Uh, It'll be great on a podcast. Oh, yeah. But I do actually, I generally do want to see these. Yeah, <laughs> I will show you. Um, I like it. I feel like not enough adult books have illustrations in them. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I can still picture in my head some of these illustrations from my, oh my gosh. Look at how, look at her little tam shanter mm-hmm. <laughs> With the, yeah, the ivy covered wall and the key yeah. and the dirt. And it's just very, if I, like, that's what I want. Um, is to like be walking through a garden and then a bird chirps at me and I find keys and go to a whole other world. It's like the Narnia of it all, you know? Oh, the gate. Yep, I've 100% seen this edition. This all, <laughs> I definitely, wait, can you show me the cover? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have, I think they're, I think they do an Alice in Wonderland that's sitting on my shelf right now. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but there was a huge revival of these kind of like turn of the century children's literature um, revival in when, in our childhood. Oh, like yeah. In the 90s. Like, like Little Women was a thing mm-hmm. too. That was part of that whole thing. Well, I mean, that, I, I wish I knew more about this, like the history of children's fiction. And like, when did you start writing for, ch- for, for children in chapter books? Um, I know that yeah. uh, our buddy, Frances Hodgson Burnett, who, by the way, kept her maiden name when she was published because she had she already did. published under her, which yeah. as someone who also kept my maiden name <laughs> when she I kept married, publishing things. She got married twice, so. She did. To, and her second marriage was to a leading actor that she had written a play for, and he was mm-hmm. 10 years younger, and there was a whole press thing about it, and then it we did not work. after two years. <laughs> yep, it was real fast. It was like, oh, hello, hot actor. Oh, no, goodbye. You're a right. you was after like, my money. Because it was still early early times i'm surprised they let her do that uh well, well they I like do, i do mean let that do but apparently yeah. in my wikipedia article <laughs> that i read um they planned a desertion so where he moved out for two years and said, okay i've been deserted so i can divorce mm. safely so there was a whole like orchestrated like yeah this isn't working you go sit in england i'm gonna go back to washington dc we'll figure it mm. out bye bro and they were like childhood friends in tennessee like they lit their little oh, houses okay. were next to each other. So they had grown up together. So it wasn't like a, a terrible drawn out. It seems like it was more of a like, yeah, let's at least it was planned. They they chose to orchestrate it in a way that would be less painful for both of them. Okay. Legally okay. speaking. I'm glad right? they took care of each other the best way they could, I guess. Right? Tending yeah. their gardens and whatnot. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Also, um, so apparently our buddy Frances Hodgson had the so she's a playwright too our buddy now <laughs> I don't know I isn't that how you make friends you read the wikipedia on them and then suddenly they're your best friend Rachel I can tell you she's what? Um, she's dead oh my god she's been dead for since almost when 100 years <laughs> yeah no almost yeah that's like 1924 so like uh-huh yeah 98 years just 98 yeah. years yeah fine. just but um, she had her play Esmeralda was the longest running play on Broadway in the 18th century. Wow. Right. How do we not? Oh. I feel like as people in the theater, we should have more information about that. I that a woman had the longest running play on Broadway 
in the 1800s. Oh, I, I I'm also terrified to Google Esmeralda because I, I bet mean, so, it yeah. would not hold up in no, today's standards. And this, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment because mm. I was reading this. And of course, um, there is this like conversation about race that does kind of yeah. happen in the book. Um, that I was like literally reading it and I had to stop and like take a photo of the page. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh. she said, what? Oh. Um, but I guess we'll get to it now because we're kind of we're kind of here, you know. Here we are. Let's go. Um, so the question we're trying to ask, um, with these books that we read as kids, like, would do you think this book holds up in twenty twenty two? Would you? I mean, you're reading it to your one of your, your kids now, you know. Yeah. Um, what like what do you what do you think, or what are your thoughts as you're reading this now to your to your children? Yeah, I found myself skipping some paragraphs, mm-hmm. um, especially when she was talking about the stuff in India. And there's, yeah, I think there's some questionable stuff as she's traveling too, I think. I don't know, but I definitely find myself skipping paragraphs um, that I don't want to read out loud to my six-year-old. And I feel like almost the idea of the story that I have in my head, I appreciate more than the the story itself um but i think i mean it's a it's a book written 1911 with a female protagonist i mm-hmm. think that the the passages about nature are really beautiful i think that the the charm of fi- of you know charming foxes off the moor like really hits a romantic part of me that i appreciate mm-hmm. so i'm kind of I was like, oh, this is, I love this book as a kid. Then I started reading it and I was like, mm-hmm, maybe we don't need to read all of this. <laughs> or maybe you need to read it later when you have a little more context. So you can say like, this is not <laughs> accurate. This is not the way people should describe other people. Yeah. And I feel like the, um, the, ac- the framing of it is just so rooted in white supremacy from jump. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a problem and like how do I because that moment of the robin handing you the key and opening the door to a for to a forgotten world that's all yours like I really love that moment and that what those kind of ideas and dreams that awakens in you and what does that mean to have something to have control over it to have to be able to grow something beautiful but like I feel like you got to have a big asterisk I think you do. Um, and I, I thought about this last line. I was, uh, sometimes I talk to myself about what I'm going to say on this podcast. It's like <laughs> crap. I'm like, this is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that struck me the most when I read this, uh, like, the, you know, this last week, is that the writing is is really good. And something yeah. about it draws me in every time, which I think is incredible. This book published, you know over 100 years ago, ago yeah. yeah still can like i was still intrigued i was still shit i still had a lot of like rut row moments um <laughs> when i was reading it i was like because what, what if oh, let me see if i can find the passage I there's like page. one page uh where uh martha oh no oh martha, no martha calls Wait, her a, th- yeah like, she's like i thought she'd be a, a black and i was like i was like a black oh. and i and I like pull. I was like, oh, that's one of the ones we skipped. Right. So like, they're yeah. obviously like, 
there are problematic things in the books uh but especially tied into yeah yeah a lot of a lot of colonialism yeah kind of inherent in the yes um which uh oh yeah when i heard you was coming from india i thought you was a black a black too and then she mm-hmm. he thought it was a native your pig. She goes, she's like, no, I wanted to meet a black. I'm interested. And I was like, okay. Right? Uh, I was like, mm. it's like it'd be so cool. I could touch your hair. It's like, right, okay, wait, right. girl, stop. But <laughs> like, oh, my, ooh. I don't think that we should necessarily cancel this book or even cancel right. those passages because that's it's what actually happened. Absolutely, and to talk about. Yeah, this is this is what the expectation was, but you need to be able to say, kids, this is not right. something you should say right. to your friends at school. Right, yeah, and I think the only way that we can move forward, and I firmly believe this, is like looking at the things we've done in the past mm-hmm. so we don't do them again. So it's like, right. great, so here we have, you know, brown people in servitude and yep. obviously like the colonization of India by, the, mm-hmm. by Britain, which is like, a whole conversation in of itself but like i yeah. think there are things that like when you're ready are good places to start a conversation like hey remember when we read in this book about this thing let's let's kind of talk about it you know i think right. that you have to like maybe do research yourself and do a little homework so you can find ways to talk about it but mm-hmm. i think ignoring it as a whole won't help fix things and i think you know when you're ready to dive go down that path um you will, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they, overall, I feel like for a book written in 1911, there are some, minus the like, I thought you were <laughs> going yeah. to be much darker. Um, and then the kind of stuff at the beginning, like, there's a lot, the, the worst people in India are her parents. Yeah. Bar none. Yes. And her and, mother. Oh, for sure. Oh, the yeah. mom. Oh, the mom sucks. She's like, I was going to go to the hills, but we were having a party. So now we're all dead. Now we're all dead from cholera. Thank you. <laughs> Good thing my daughter got drunk because no one was watching her. Uh, um, yes. But like the the stories that the Aya related, like the, the kind of, she got some positive things from the people she lived with in India that are not her parents, but, yeah. and I, that notion of, yeah, I don't know how the book feels about, no, we do kind of know how the book feels about India and it's a big thumbs down, which is dumb. It, yeah. It, I think, <laughs> I think Mary loved India because that's what she knew. Right. Um, but I don't know that Francis Hodgson Burnett. I don't. Does, um, but she also doesn't know it. So right. Yeah. But I also think that the way that Frances um, portrays Mary and the way that she acts around, like, uh, her servants in India, like, mm-hmm. I don't think that it puts her in a good light. Like, no! I So I think there is, a, like, I think even Frances is like, this is not great, and I'm going right. to write it this way. So you're kind of like, yeah. You're, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So you're learning something's like, great. So this is definitely the way it was, but like, this is but apparently also, awful right it's awful and it's not just awful for the reasons the book thinks is awful there are things yeah. the book is like this is just normal and you're like right. "Ooh, girl like, no. that's <laughs> but again it's like it, I, this is like what this, this is what what happens what was occurring so 
Right. Um, and to pretend kind of a, that, you know, every, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's an even bigger problem or that the, that, you know, India didn't exist and that people coming back and forth yeah. didn't happen and that all the English stuff is very English and that there is this kind of melding. I mean, she's bicultural a little yeah. bit in terms of bit. like what she brings in situation and what like she can appreciate. I think I, I desperately hope in my fan fiction that she appreciates a little more coming from having the, the cultural contact with people who are not like her. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I would hope, yeah, she'd have some positive impact on her life. Yeah. Maybe. No, no. We're going to say, we're going to say, we're going to hope yes. We're going to hope yes. We we're going to hope yes. We're going to hope yes. <laughs> yeah. And there is a, yeah. There's a grand tradition of rewriting endings with this particular book. Um, did you, so you watched the movies when you were a kid? Do you remember I them? I think so. I Yeah, I have yeah. images in my head of movies, but I, I don't think I watched it many times. Yeah. So I did a little like diving around on YouTube because I remember getting books, getting a couple versions from the library and being mad at all of them because they always tried to make it into a love triangle. Oh, gross. And it was very much, uh, yeah. And like to the point where there's a version with Colin Firth as old, hang on, hang on. Well, not as one of the kids. It's like 1987 and they've changed it so that the uncle is not the uncle, but a family friend. So that when Dickon dies in the Great War, which fuck you guys, pardon me, sorry, F you guys. So they, <laughs> Dickon dies in the Great War so that then cousin Colin comes back and it's, it's like baby Colin Firth. And, but they're not related so they can kiss. And I'm like, you went through all of this trouble so that she can kiss Colin? Colin? Like what? It was- What, what year yeah. did that come out? Do you know? That's 1987. There is many a YouTube clip of baby Colin Firth with the weirdest little accent. Um, Weird. Yeah, and it, it like takes the time to jump forward into the Great War to then kill off Dickens so that the, the cousin kissing, well, the technically not cousins in this version kissing can happen. And then there was another one in 1993 that I remember being met about. I think that's um, the one that I probably. saw. Yeah, she's got a little like Tam Shanter thing. Okay. And then so... there was the musical, which I feel like hit just at the right time for me to be mega obsessed. <laughs> and the when the the touring production came through they pulled a local mary and it was a gal who i'd done children's theater with so i'm like ah emily Krolak is in the thing at the san jose opera center and so i was really jazzed that's very cool yeah but i think that there are so few stories that have a girl protagonist especially a girl protagonist gets to do so much and be kind of an awful bitch for the first part yeah. and then grow out of it yeah I think it, it speaks to like the redeeming yes. qualities that exist in kids. Yeah. I don't know if and that, that makes sense. With a little nurturing with the right kind yeah. of, of love and, you know, patience and attention. If you nurture something, it can grow and be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like a garden. Like a garden. Children or a are like a child. <laughs> Surly children are like gardens, is what I've learned from this particular novel. Um, there was something I saw too. Um, I should. So, uh, 
that the witch kind of built this arc of the story um, mm-hmm. was that she kind of, she gets to the moor and it's uh, winter and she's like mm-hmm. sad and gross. And then uh, in the spring, she like discovers a garden uh, and like calling around that time. She has to make friends and then like starts to tend the garden that when it comes back to fall, because her, like the, her uncle like leaves at some point, like goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. And by the time he comes back in the fall, like everything is like bursting full of life. They kind of like have this full cycle of like, you know, all the seasons and yeah. just come back to this like fully healed child and garden <laughs> and home. Yeah. Because of Mary. <laughs> right. She, like she herself grows with the garden and mm-hmm. with the, the whole house. Yep. Suddenly it's after having been winter for so long and yep. been like a neglected, sad place. It's bursting with life. Yep. Nature is healing. Yep. Nature is healing. It like is though. It is though. It, I mean, because we're getting ready to, it's fall mm-hmm. in Chicago and we're getting ready to head into winter, which is the darkest uh, times for many mm-hmm. reasons. And you're in Minnesota. So yeah, the fact that a lot of people like don't get enough like sunlight, you know, that's like <laughs> part of what we need to survive, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm on vitamin D supplements yeah, <laughs> because right? I'm in the frozen north and there's not enough sunshine, but yeah. we need, our bodies literally need the sun like yeah. plants do. Yeah. And I think that's part of why we, why the Midwest jumps so hard into fall is because like we get to appreciate this color and the crisp air and the apples and the pumpkins and mm-hmm. all of that stuff of like making the most of nature before yeah. it all hides. <laughs> it all goes to pot and before it all goes to pot. We're sad for but four it, months. And it's kind of, a, but it's, it's kind of amazing though, how things bounce back. Like I've started growing more perennials out mm-hmm. in my yard that come back year after year. And a lot of, and like, I kind of, as a Californian, I didn't believe in it. I was a little bit like, yeah, sure, this root will come back. It's dead forever. My life is over. And then lo and behold, come the spring, a little green shoot pops out. And it's like, even without me knowing it, even without me, you know, taking care of you, you took care of yourself because you were part of nature, because you took the nutrients from the soil and you rested when you needed to so you could burst forth when things were ready. Hmm. And I kind of love that idea. That's a good way of thinking about winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like we all, maybe we all need a little chance to rest. I do think after the summer's here, people go a little hard and maybe they do. Eh. Need a chance to rest. Right? I, yes, 100%. <laughs> so this is a good way to think because I, I have a hard time with winter the longer yep. I'm here because uh, I'm from the South where yep. it doesn't get that cold. And when it doesn't cold, we can still go outside and here it snows and we're trapped inside for days. But right. And it's windy and cold and icy yeah. and gross. Yeah. Um, but maybe thinking of the time to like to recharge and reset things mm-hmm. and take a lot of vitamin D, maybe it's another way to get through. Yeah. Winter this year. This is yeah. when you need to sit by the fire with a book and like uh, nourish yeah. your imagination and all I'll of that. I'll try to read a lot this summer. I'll read warm books. Yeah. And I feel like I can read like more intense books in the winter than in the summer because like I have more brain space almost to take in and understand stories versus like a beach read when I want to be able to close it and then run around and look at beach or whatever. I also feel less guilty because you're just inside and you don't have to you can't be outside. I can't be outside it's not like I'm missing out 
I can sit here and in my armchair with my blanket and my mug of tea mm -hmm. and just dig right in and, you know, let the roots of your imagination flourish. Okay. <laughs> I'm making a sarcastic gesture. Which is not translating. No, no, no. The she she meant that. She meant that wholeheartedly. I did. <laughs> Shut up. I did. <laughs> Maybe that's the plan this winter. Just I'll finally read through all of these books. Because mm -hmm. I don't have the time. Yeah, and you can't feel guilty about what nature does not allow you to do. You, uh, we do need to rest and recharge. We do. I mean, like almost every culture has some kind of celebration in the darkest part of winter of like bringing forth light and of bringing yeah. forth togetherness and of like, we're almost through this kids. We got it. We know yeah. it's hard to hunker down. So let's bring something beautiful into this dark time. Like we're very cyclical. Winter solstice is my favorite day in winter because I know that the days get longer from there. Right. And it's like you can suddenly you can feel a difference. It's literally. Like a hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need to have that. You need to look for that hope, even yeah. on the darkest parts. Yeah. And nature gives you a cue of like, Psst, kids. It's coming. Don't it's worry. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Rachel. Um, You're welcome. Anything you want to you want to plug or uh, where can we find you on the Internet? I am on rachelteagle.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-T-E-A-G-L-E.com. I almost forgot how to spell my own name. So okay. that tells you um, where I'm at right now. Um, but if you are a person who um, reads plays or does plays, um, I'm also on the new play exchange, including my adaptation of The Secret Garden, which very much squares Mary as the protagonist. Um, and it's like a six person, it's like a six person cast with one person, with the one older person doing both the grouchy gardener and the grouchy uncle. Um, but we did it originally with the theater company that I don't want to give any publicity to because, no, no. but um, it's been done since then in South Carolina outside in a beautiful garden. Um, and like it, I get to, one of the joys of doing that was getting to read this book again and looking at some of this prose because the way she talks about nature, the way she talks about the moor and the roses mm -hmm. and the, the way the gray vines tangle, it just, it pulls you into that spot so immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and so I stole a bunch of that. Okay. But no, it's a way to, no. to celebrate. No, it's, it's public domain. Fair it use. Is. Very yeah, public yeah. domain. <laughs> um, I double checked. <laughs> but I think that um, part of the joy of these books is hearing a lot of this, especially this prose for this book is hearing it out loud. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend that, uh, you should all see plays based on books and go do that. Yeah. That's what I say. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, thanks Rachel. Thank you for having me Mo and You're happy, well. reading. <laughs> happy reading. Happy reading y'all. <laughs> Momo's Bookcase is created, edited, and produced by me, Morgan Phillips Potts, and our theme music is by Nia D'Amelio. For more information about Momo's Book Club, follow us at Momo's Book Club on all platforms, or go to www.momosbookclub.com. Momo's Bookcase is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com 